1: This week my guest is author and counselor Tim Kellis. Tim Kellis runs the Marriage Solutions, which can be found at happyrelationships.com. He specializes in couples trying to, to sustain marriage and to try to solve the marriage problem, as he calls it. It's a very interesting conversation. We get into a little bit of psychology and how he's approached it from almost like a technology standpoint, and actually approached it as a mental issue versus just the biological and the psychological. It's a fun conversation, so let's get into my interview with Tim Kellis. All right, we're here with my friend and author, Tim Kellis writing the book Equality in Marriage. And he is touting the message that he has found the solution to the marriage problem. And I'm excited because as a fear podcast, I'm definitely afraid of this stuff. Like I am afraid of getting married, let alone being married. There's just so much there. And it's definitely a fear because otherwise you wouldn't have shows like Bridezilla and all these pre-marriage shows of all the stress leading into a marriage, which... I don't think can be good for a relationship to start with such a stressful, like, I guess even getting into the marriage.
0: Martin Luther King was once to ask what he thought was the problem with marriage and his humble responses. Oh, I don't know. I think they don't know each other very well and are afraid.
1: That's absolutely. When you understand
0: the effect of fear in marriage. Exactly. Exactly what you just said, Ryan. We, we have, we have grown so uh, accustomed to divorce that we are now afraid of marriage. And a lot of people don't get married for, I mean, a lot of people, there are people that don't get married ever because they're so afraid of it.
1: I could be one of those people. I'm 44. I haven't been married yet. Uh, I get, I get super afraid of relationship just because I'm in my own world. And so I get so nervous of, I guess, unloading some of that on somebody else and kind of sharing a burden I guess, with somebody else and not trying to take it on all myself.
0: Well, one of the things that I do is I teach couples how to grow together. And when you understand how to grow together and the reason for growing together and you understand why you're growing together, it it alleviates a lot of the anxieties that people have about marriage. It's one of the big things that I teach.
1: Yeah, I, I noticed you're, you've started uh, workshops, as, according to your website, where you all do, uh, I think, two months weekly.
0: And that's when we get into the real nuts and bolts. Literally, every couple that I work with, by the time I'm done working with them, their marriage is on the right track. It's it's amazing to see couples get breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. You know that uh, of what I'm trying to teach them, and and how profound it is, and the impact it has on their marriage. Yes,
1: it it has to be. It has to be a very rewarding experience to see your hard work actually pay off with another, I guess, another couple per se, just to see that, you know, that reaction and that, I guess, acceptance and happiness and joy.
0: (laughs) When When I was 12 years old, I told my mom I wanted to be a Catholic priest. And then I discovered girls. So that'll career path kind of got derailed, but yeah, it's exactly the point about, you know, preacher and teacher is the same word, but you know, it's, it's teaching people something so profound in their, in their life that it's, it's, it's life-changing for them when they realize what they, how they need to understand how to approach marriage in order to be successful.
1: And you brought up career change because that seems to, that, that's definitely been a pattern in your life. Like you started there but you also like you didn't go to school for any of this. Like you've kind of approached this from a complete different angle.
0: Well, what I've done that's unique, believe it or not, is no one else has ever approached marriages mentally before. That's in essence what I do. And when you address marriages mentally, because as any of us that have ever been in a relationship, know relationships are mental experiences, it's not just the physical thing or the biological thing. It's actually a mental experience, but Unfortunately, the psychology industry hasn't moved past their biology theory yet to to address marriages mentally, and that's why no one in the industry has yet solved the problem.
1: That's fascinating that you've appro- you've kind of again come from a let's not let's not look at the the past let's try to let's try to come with a new angle instead of just going through history and just using historical narratives that may be outdated by society's means as we become I guess more of a Casual society is what I would call it, then as strict as maybe when some of this stuff was actually founded and kind of implemented.
0: Well, one of the things that an engineer, I have an engineering background. I was the first semiconductor analyst on Wall Street to focus on the communications market. Uh, at the height of the market in 2000, it was actually a girl in Dallas, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, that I'd actually known for like eight years, but she always had a, a boyfriend and I always had a girlfriend, but we met. You know, and we, we weren't in relationships and we got together. And, you know, what's so amazing about falling in love is how quickly it happens when you meet this person that you just get along with. And it just happened. And then we started fighting and then we went to a therapist. And quite honestly, it was when the therapist wasn't helping that I, I decided to take this this mission on, on. But the point is, is what an engineer is trained to do. They're trained to look at what has changed to cause a problem. And before the 60s, our divorce rate was single digits. And obviously, let me, me, before I get into this part of the conversation, I always have to preface this by in 1970, less than 1% of all law and medical degrees went to women. By 1990, that number was over half. For the first time in the history of human civilization, women were educated and able to get jobs. Because as we all know, any of us that have any religious background at all know that the marriages, according to the church, is patriarchy based. First page of the Bible, the wife will obey her husband, which means that the husband's in charge, is responsible for the thinking part of the relationship, controls finances, and makes the decisions for the marriage, while the woman was responsible for the emotional side of the relationship. She raised the kids and was responsible for the nurturing environment of the house. And so when I say I've solved the problem, the solution to the problem is equality, which is mental equality, not behavioral equality, which is what you get from professionals. You know, you do the dishes half the time, your wife does the dishes half the time, and that's not mental equality. Mental equality is you have your skills, and your spouse has his or her skills, and when you come together, those two skills in general complement each other. And then when you understand it that way, one plus one is equal to so much more than two, and then when you understand it from that perspective, what you in essence learn is to take on the world instead of taking on each other. Because the reality is, is the problem that we're trying to figure out is conflict resolution. And once we understand how to address conflicts, how can you solve the marriage problem unless you solve the marriage problems? In fact, this is one of my big insights. And Ryan, you probably laugh at its simplicity. But the reason why relationships are successful is because couples get along. The reason why relationships are unsuccessful is because couples don't get along. It's literally that simple. That determines the difference between success and failure. Again, this is not complicated. It's all common sense. In fact, I explain and teach how common sense is the platform for a successful marriage. In fact, if I could take the subjectivity of the individual out of the relationship, I can solve Virtually every marriage problem. And not only that, you realize that the solution is fairly simple. It's when we introduce, within, and this is where you get into fear as a motivator. When you get into those subjective perspective of marriages, which is where the problems come from.
1: Yeah, I kind of, as I I do comedy and I also book comics for shows, and so I get that emotional part because sometimes it's a lot of times certain things happen for business decision. It's not a personal slight against them, but because they don't feel like they were chosen, they can they can perceive that personally as a personal attack. And so I totally get the whole fear thing. And when you, when you say conflict resolution is people reading into the conflict of they're angry at me or they're reading so much into that conflict rather than it's something that they just need, they're just having an issue with. It's nothing to do with you at all.
0: That, that, that's exa- That's exactly the point. In fact, when I get into conflict resolution, the difference between success and failure is the difference between disagreements and arguments. And the analogy that I like to use is, say, you and I become business partners. And I'm the accountant, and you want to buy a $5,000 computer, and we don't have the budget for it. You and I are business partners. Obviously, we don't have an emotional relationship. You and I aren't lovers, you know, man and wife, so to speak. We're just business partners. So how are we gonna solve the problem of you wanting a 5,000-hour computer and we don't have the money for it? So we have to obviously disagree. I have to understand your side, you have to understand my side, but we eventually figure out how to solve the problem that fits your needs and my needs at the same time. And when you and I solve that problem, then both of us not only agree to it, but we're both happy with the solution. But and not only that, so disagreements are, are problem-solving, they're logical, and they're forward-looking. Arguments, on the other hand, are emotional, they're fault-finding, and they're Mm backward-looking. And so what I do to to get through arguments is I, I have created what I call the hierarchy of the argument. There's a process that we go through mentally which ultimately leads to us being judgmental and anger, which is what you just said. So what happens is we have an experience One of the things that I've realized, and this is very important for people to understand, is the biggest influence on your marriage is your parent. Under the concept of development, which is what we're all supposed to be doing, this notion of mental development, development conveys or implies that the earlier you are in the development uh, process, the less developed you are. When are you least developed at birth? your biggest influence your parents so so for example if your parents got divorced okay now you have a fear of divorce and that leads to the next stop of the the hierarchy of the argument which is a prejudice Mm -hmm. okay which is a preconceived opinion it turns out our mental problems are nothing more than prejudices so mom and dad have got divorced i have an insecurity which is a fear and anxiety which leads to a prejudice. I'm afraid now of my marriage ending, and so that's what leads to being judgmental, which then leads to anger. So the point is, is fear, is what causes anger. And when you understand that, what I teach couples to do next is to address the fear, not the anger. You're you come home late for work. And your partner gets mad at you. This is this is your your comment that it's not your your fault. Yeah. And one of the things that I discuss is it's not a matter of finding fault, it's finding the solution. To define a problem without discussing the solution is being judgmental. That's something people need to write down. If you're discussing a problem, but you're not taking that next mental step, which is what are we gonna do about it? So you come home late from work. And your partner gets mad at you. Now, the caveat here is you can't be home late from work because you're out drinking with your buddies. Mm -hmm. You literally, if you're behaving morally, if you're doing the right thing, so you got that call right at 5 p.m., it took an hour, you didn't think about calling your spouse on the way home, you get home and your spouse is mad at you. What is our natural response when that happens? It's fight or flight. Yes. Right? You're either gonna defend yourself. Well, it's because yeah, but yeah, but in this, in this is this is where an argument starts, right? Or, in fact, this is one of the biggest pieces of advice that I give women, because men are not so good emotionally as women are. Generally, what what a lot of men do is they just shut down. I come home, my wife gets mad at me. I just say, yeah. I'm not gonna deal with it. That's fight or flight. What a lot of men do is they flee. They just, they just ignore. And that's where communicate, that's one of the reasons why communication breaks down. But what I teach couples to do is to turn the conversation the other direction. Mm-hmm. So you come home late for work, your partner gets mad at you. If you could only learn this one question, in fact, this this solution took me years, years to figure out. And when I finally, when the vision finally came to me, I laughed at its simplicity. Because the answer is, what are you afraid of? Because you'll find out, just like you said earlier, it's not you coming home late from work. It's abandonment issues. It's self-esteem issues. It's something that the other person believes about themselves. Because what I mean by belief, by by prejudice, prejudice are just beliefs that are not thought through. Yes. And when you understand that you have this negative belief about yourself and you're afraid of that happening in your marriage... That's where the anger comes from. And then you ask why. And eventually because first, you know, what are you afraid of? Well, you coming home late from work. Well, then you you, you know, then continue with the why. Why is probably the most profound question you could ever ask in anything you do, but particularly in relationships, well, why are you afraid? Well, and then eventually they realize what's well, it's it's I'm afraid of something about me. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the healing process, and then your partner. Gets to be the shoulder that you cry on. And when you go through the healing process, which is forgiveness, and once you go through the forgiveness process, which is n- not a logical conversation, it's an emotional conversation. Mm-hmm. And once you let go and forgive, which there's always pain before the child is born, it's a painful process to go through. But once you go through that, then you guys get closer because you and your partner did it together. It turns out we are supposed to be born twice. Yes. The first is obvious, biological. But the second is we are also supposed to be born into adulthood. We're supposed to be psychologically born into adulthood. The Bart mitzvah, the bat mitzvah in the Jewish tradition, the first communion in the Christian tradition, even barbaric rituals in antiquity were all ceremonies to initiate us into adulthood. The problem is, the Bar Mitzvah, the Bat Mitzvah, and the First Communion happened when we are 12 or 13 years old, which when they were created was what be, when we became adults. But today, we don't become adults until at least in our 20s. And for some of us, it actually never happens because the psychology industry has dropped the ball, on is an industry in general terms, on teaching that to us. They're still stuck in the biology theory, but the ones that are good, this is how you know the difference between a good therapist and one that's not so good, is a good therapist knows that their role— is to help you through this transition into adulthood.
1: Yes. I've, I've seen that. And I, I'll bet a lot of those prehistoric rituals wish they'd waited till they were in their twenties or some of these, because it, it, you just, I feel like people even at 18, when I've had friends of mine that got married right out of high school. And I just look at them like, how do you know that you're still going to be doing the same thing at 18 that you are at 25? Like you were in the engineering industry. If you would have gotten married while you're an engineer, Maybe you wouldn't have found this path that you're on now as far as, you know, solving the marriage problem and recreating this workshop mm-hmm. for equality in marriage. There's so much that people I f- assume that they're already ready for. And I don't know if that's a fear of just admitting to themselves they're not ready or if it's just society making them feel like we don't have time for you to not be ready. You need to be ready now. You're, you're 20 years old.
0: No, 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 that's that's not the point. Two, Two points. Okay. Okay. Number one, we are all supposed to be, unfortunately, a lot of us get stuck in place. I call them the walking dead. But we are all supposed to be different five years from now than we are today. Okay. You talk about my career. I'm on my fifth career. I've lived in seven cities in my adult life. Change is supposed to be a part of life. Change is always going to happen. Okay. And if couples could learn to change together instead of change being something to break them apart, then they learn to grow together. Because mm-hmm. we're going to, in fact, I'm, you know, I'm a, a lot older than that. I've gone through so many changes in my life. I'm continually growing, developing. I realize my biography won't be finished until my obituary, and only God knows my real name if I realize, realize that life is a journey. So for example, the biggest hole in our society today when it comes to marriage, the biggest thing that we have to learn when it comes to a successful marriage, women are educated, women are now logical. It is still considered a weakness for a man to show feelings. And we need to change that. We need a paradigm shift I'm not gay, not that there's anything wrong with it, as Jerry Seinfeld so famously said. One of the things that I realize about myself is I am developing my emotional side. I'm obviously very logical and very analytical, but I also realize for me to become more of a complete person, I need to open up my emotional side. Okay, so change is always going to happen. But the second thing that's important to understand, I've got some bad news for you, Ryan. And I've also got some bad news for everybody who will ever watch this. And that's that you are going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. Every person who will see this is going to screw up in their life. It's a fact of life. There's only one entity that's perfect, and that's upstairs. The rest of us will make mistakes. And what's interesting about it is it's not the mistakes per se, but how you deal with the mistakes. But I will add, this is one of my big reveals. And this is when it comes to infidelity. What's so interesting about our understanding of relationships today because of people that, are, that work in the business is they are working at it when it's at its worst possible moment. Infidelity is not the cause of problems in marriage. Infidelity is the result of problems. In marriage, and the reason why I'm stating this way is it started off starts off with the small problems that don't get fixed, and then it's like an onion that creates layer over layer over layer. And what I do is I actually jump to the very core of the problem, and when the core breaks down, the rest of the onion disintegrates. Where where we're at today is we start at the end of the onion, the outer layer of the onion, and work our way back, which is is a very time consuming and difficult and complicated process to do but when you shoot straight for the source of the problem then the rest of this stuff goes away
1: yeah the rest of it just falls off at that point if you get to the core because exactly and that's kind of how i started this podcast because this is how i write jokes is i try to get to the core like emotional and so i was that's why i kind of approach fears is like there's a real basis for why Cause we would have these green room conversations of weird things people are afraid of. And it's always such a fascinating conversation getting to the core of what caused that fear. Like what root may have root caused that fear. Like I'm afraid of snakes like my mom. And could it be just because my mom was holding me while she was seeing a snake and she imparted that fear just by being in in her developmental stage, like you said, being afraid, me sensing that fear And now I've kind of inherited it by just being in that, I guess, space with my mom while she was afraid and just developed that fear.
0: You you just 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 so you know, you just hit on a very, very deep concept. And I'll explain that to you in a second. Okay. But the point is, is say that you're married and your wife comes up to you and says, hey, sweetheart, guess what we're going to do today? And you say, what? And she says, we're going to the zoo. And you jump down her throat. Hell, we are going to the zoo. Are you kidding me? We're not. Are you kidding me? And you guys get into What do you mean we're not? And you get into a fight, but you don't realize because those problems are unconscious. Mm -hmm. You don't realize what you just did was you projected your fear of snakes onto the zoo conversation. Mm -hmm. And if you were to understand and realize that, well, really, sweetheart, the reason for that is I'm afraid of snakes. Then we can solve the problem. Then Well, okay, well, then we won't go into the snake house. We'll go to the zoo. Okay, well, that's now we've solved the problem versus you and your wife getting into an argument over her wanting to go to the zoo. Yeah. But let me explain to you why you just said what you just did. Okay. I love the concept of the snake because the snake is actually a mythological being. There's a reason why the symbol of medicine is the state, is snake around a shaft? In fact, I forget what the name There's a name for that symbol. The snake symbolizes transformation because it sheds its skin. And it symbolizes, in medical terms, it symbolizes the transformation of a sick person to a healthy person. But in psychological terms, it symbolizes the transformation from our old self to our new self. And again, in particular, when we go through the maturing process of letting go of our childhood so that we can become adults. And that's why we are psychologically afraid of snakes. Not you know, Have you ever actually run into a poisonous snake? Have you actually ever been bitten by a poisonous snake? Of course not. Why are you afraid? Do you realize... That St. Patrick is St. Patrick because he actually decimated snakes in Ireland. There are no longer snakes in Ireland. They have been eliminated from the island of Ireland because when he lived, which was 6th or 7th century, they were so afraid of this notion of transformation, which is one of the reasons why we wear masks in Halloween. Mm-hmm. It's that is also a point in time when we're, we're becoming more aware of ourselves and we wore masks so that we could hide behind the mask and what we know today is called the false facade. Mm-hmm. And so they were so afraid of this maturing process when St. Patrick walked on this planet that he actually got the whole country to actually kill all the snakes in Ireland. And so there are no longer any snakes in Ireland. That's what snakes represents psychologically.
1: Wow, that's. That's fascinating that to think that somebody was that paranoid about growth or just afraid of it, that they would okay, let's try to let's try to get rid of the symbol of doing that and just stay where we are.
0: That's called fear, Ryan. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the point of our conversation. Oh, exactly. Yeah. That's the point. Fear. Fear 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 and love cannot coexist in the same room. That is true. Our goal is to not to find love. Our goal is to find all the barriers that we've created to keep us from opening up to love. That's what couples need to learn and understand when it comes to figuring out how to grow together as a couple. So if you and your wife could address your fear of snakes, you know, maybe you could realize it and overcome it, you're no longer afraid of snakes. She holds your hand. You guys walk into the snake house at the zoo, you're all nervous, you're sweating, you're perspiring. You stand there and you look at them and they're all in, in, in glass boxes and you look at them and you go, that's not so fearful. And you then get over your fear of snakes.
1: That and if, and I feel like that's what people refer to when they say the magic's gone is that kind of I guess that feeling of overcoming a fear together or, you know, ch- or doing something together that that is like almost resolving a fear or resolving a problem is that they just kind of. I guess at a certain point, stop what you're saying to do, which is discovering a problem and solving it together and just kind of just, as you said, shut down.
0: Well, enlightenment comes at a price. This is what we're talking about. Enlightenment comes at a price. You have to give up your limitations. Okay, so now you're going to the zoo on a regular basis. You limited yourself to going to the zoo because you're afraid of snakes. And now that you've you confronted your fear of snakes, you overcome that. You're now healed. Now that you go you get, go to the zoo, and now you have a zoo party. And obviously, that's just an analogy. Mm-hmm. But think about it when it comes to finances. Think about it when it comes to intimacy. Think about it when it comes to raising the children. Think about all aspects of marriage. If you're not working together and growing together, these issues become what I call psychic lesions. Mm-hmm which are now holes in development, like you'll never go to a zoo again. So you don't get to go uh, explore the beauty of the zoo because you have this psychological lesion about zoo. But again, intimacy, raising the kids, whatever issue is not solved in a marriage becomes a hole in mental development. And eventually these holes overwhelm us, these psychic lesions overwhelm us and our mind actually regresses. We actually shrink mentally and this is when you're in an, an unhealthy marriage that's m- managed by control, both in the marriage actually shrink their their mental development. Yeah,
1: I guess that's where you get like the cra- like the fights at two in the morning where they're just yelling about things that, as you say, because they've regressed so far that may not even be anywhere close to the problem. It's just the it's the I guess the most current thing on their mind.
0: It's not my fault. It's your fault. Doesn't that sound like something we used to say as children? Yes. This is what I mean. We go back to that way of of, rea- of, 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 of relating to somebody else in the way we did it as children. We behave the same way as we were as children, but not the good part of us as children, yeah. the unhealthy part of us as children.
1: So when you developed this project were you like were you afraid of marriage or were you just afraid of the marriage fall, more falling apart when you came up with this I guess workshop if you will
0: That's that's actually a very profound question. So here's the paradox that I grew up with that led to me solving this problem. Unfortunately, my dad is no longer around. In fact, he's he's looking he's looking down on me right now and I I talk now to my dad now more than I did when he was alive. But my parents stayed married their whole life. So I was raised where divorce was not an option. But the other side of that story is my parents fought literally every day. So the conflict in my mind was I'm not going to get divorced. That's not, it's never been part of my dialogue because of what my parents taught me, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to have the marriage that my parents had. So where we, you know, my spot, my wife and I are fighting every day. That's mm-hmm. not the marriage that I would ever create. And so that conflict that when I would get into relationships, you know, I call them stepping stones. And in fact, what people are supposed to be doing when they break up in a relationship is not this thing, but this thing, what, what am I supposed to learn? From this relationship. And in fact, I am not a judgmental person. I, I've never in any relationship I've ever had said to myself, well, she's doing, you know, I, I don't think that way. I'm always, well, we've got a problem. What is the solution to this problem? And when this girl from Dallas, you know, when we were supposed to spend the rest of our lives together and the, the, let me, let me, let me back up a second. The yeah. only reason why I can comfortably and confidently tell anybody that I have solved the marriage problem is because I forgave my parents when I was 25. It was an extra friend of mine in Dallas mm-hmm. whose father started the largest law firm in Dallas. I grew up poor. My dad was a cab driver. When I moved to Dallas, he was the only guy that I knew. We were roommates and we stayed up one night and had a little one-on-one and who had the worst childhood. But the issue with him is he'd gone to a good therapist and he had forgiven his father. And so he still loved his father. So every time I'd say something my parents did that destroyed my childhood, he would always respond with something worse. My dad sent me to military school. My dad never showed me affection. My dad never went to any of my events, which was the one that got me because my dad, if you were to ask my dad about his life, he would say two things, playing football, big sports guy and his kids. My dad never missed any event that I've ever been to my entire life growing up when I was a kid. I've been playing soccer since I was five. In fact, I played in undergrad at University of Missouri. We were big eight champs two to four years I was there. I played in grad school at SMU in Dallas. I mean, I've been playing soccer my whole life. And so when this friend of mine said that his dad never went to any of his events, that broke me down. Yeah. What I did in that one moment is I fell in love with my parents in that one moment, because I realized my, my parents loved me. Mm -hmm. They did the best that they could. They were not very educated, but they loved their kids and they were great parents. And I am not a bad person. I turned out to be okay, you know, and I'm successful. I mean, I turned out to be a pretty good person and I thank my parents. And that's the most amazing thing about the forgiveness, the healing process is when you get through it and you actually look backwards You realize that you are who you are today because of these problems. These problems are – our character is not exposed when things are going well. Our character is exposed when things aren't going well. Yes.
1: Adversity brings out uh, the best and worst in you.
0: Well, it brings out the best in you. You just don't realize it when it brings it out in you and you're behaving in your worst. But if you were to sit there and figure out the growth lesson that you're supposed to be learning – with whatever problems are in your life. Again, instead of blaming the other person or the rest of the world or God, which some people do, you you know, and it's not blaming myself, but what am I, every time I get into a problem, I'm always looking, what am I supposed to learn? What is this trying to teach me? What is the lesson that this conflict is supposed to expose with me? Because remember love, I define love as vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And vulnerability is the fear of getting hurt. In fact, what happens when you fall in love with somebody is you get over that fear. In fact, in my book, I describe, you know, people that I know Dallas, I call them the pretty people. There are pretty people in Dallas that will go out with somebody for six months. They'll have a physical relationship. Once they start getting close, they break up. And there are a lot of very attractive people in Dallas that never get married. Because they never let themselves open up to another person. But that's what you're supposed to be doing is understanding that you're overcoming your fear of of the relationship not working out and finally letting yourself, letting somebody else in. And that's what love is. It's, It's being vulnerable. At first, it's the good stuff. I call it character research. Where are you from, your parents, your siblings, your school, all that stuff. This is when couples are getting to know each other. But we again, we call it the false facade. We put our best, best foot forward, which we're supposed to. But what we're also supposed to learn is to be able to expose those things we may not be proud of. I'm working with a, a woman now who was molested when she was 11 years old. Ugh. Exactly. But I'm getting her to overcome it. Yeah, I'm working with her and holding her hand. As she heals through that experience.
1: Because it's got to be hard because you when things like that happen, because I'm I definitely vulnerability is definitely one of my big fears. And yeah, of course it is. It's just it's so hard because I was bullied a lot growing up. So it's a a lot of it is is fear of the public eye, That's me doing stand up is kind of almost <laughs> remarkable that I'm able to get center stage because I was very afraid of being. In the public eye because of all that bullying that I was like, oh, I'm showing I'm revealing some sort of flaw that everybody's going to make fun of. And that's what I'm going to be known for every time now. Or that's what's going to be posted on YouTube or Instagram or wherever people TikTok, whatever it is now that people, you know, post videos on is like, oh, my flaw is going to be exposed. I'm just going to be made fun of like all these comments are just going to be about me.
0: Yeah, but vulnerability is not a weakness. It's actually your greatest measure of courage. Great. You know, be courageous, you know, grab yourself, hold on tight, go out, which is what you're doing because you're, you're doing standup, but you know, you get on stage and it's such a cathartic experience. And, and you know, what's so funny is if you were to go on stage and they were to laugh at you and not with you and you were, you know, you, I don't know, did something stupid and they start laughing at you. That's, that's where you learn. You don't quit. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of couples do in marriage is you don't quit, but you realize that something about you has been exposed, and that's the maturing process that you go through. Yeah. And once you get good and you understand that you realize that you are, because God don't make no mistakes, as I like to say. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not a, you know, you know, a bad person, you're not a a, a, you know, unworthy person on whatever you define as being unworthy. You're actually worthy of every you know, again, you have to give up your limitations, which is what you're doing, which is why you're going on stage. And that's a beautiful thing for couples to learn that is, is part of the maturing process.
1: Yes. I, I I was going to say, when you said cathartic, I was like, that is exactly what it is. And it's addictive and it's, (laughs) it's nice because it's, it's being able to to say your problems in your own words and to Mm -hmm. also generate the kind of response you want your problem to have, which in my term is, you know, I kind of laugh at myself a lot. So, let me let me do this in front of the audience and see if I can get them to laugh with me more than at me. I mean sometimes they'll laugh at me because that's how I just phrase it, but i you know, I have to first laugh at my laugh at myself and get to the core and find yeah. out why this is so funny to me and hopefully, you know, project that in a way that other people can relate to.
0: One of the one of actually to me, the biggest problem with the psychology industry is in this notion of it being uh, scientific. They have to make it measurable, which is why they look at behaviors and why they don't look at things mentally. And that's why those of us who are not in the business have to come out and talk about our own mental experiences and share our own mental experiences with the world so that we could be our own instructors for other people on what we've learned as we've gone through this mental process. That's why it's somebody from outside the psychology industry who solved the marriage problem because I wasn't trained like they are in the psychology industry under this, you know, biological uh, concept, the Freudian concept. In fact, have you ever heard of Carl Jung? Yes. So for those of you who are watching this, who do not know who Carl Jung is, Carl Jung was 19 years younger than Freud. Freud looked up to Jung so much that he not only considered him his son, his heir apparent, but also his son. And as we all know, Freud's basic theory is that sex is what motivates us. It's not true. Yeah. But that's what Freud said. The industry followed him. And Jung Fre- and actually disagreed with that as well. And they had their famous split in 1912 when they split up. And Jung went much further than Freud did. In understanding how the mind works, for, Young actually cured schizophrenia. Now, think about that for a second. If you were to ask the general public what they think about schizophrenia, they would go to—I think it's called—Wonderful Mind with, uh, with uh, Russell Crowe. He saw other people; it was in his mind. You would have this biological, you know, uh, 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 alternate existence. But the reality is, is Young cured those people by going back to the root sources of their problem? And once they realize the root sources of the problem, they no longer had to take their mind mentally to some alternative life. They can go back to the real life. The reason why we have mental problems is because people who have mental problems whose real world is so painful that they create an alternative reality. And that's when the mind starts going off off, off kilter and going off balance.
1: And it's also I just feel like at some point you've got to you've got to update I would say the tactics too. Cause I was like, things are getting faster. Like m- we're more reliant on technology than we are just human behavior. When some of these things were out, there was no technology or <laughs>
0: exactly. I get
1: quick fix or quick lookup for, for some of these therapy things. Cause so many people are self diagnosing and it's just one of those things where I feel like they need to also update and get just like, just like you said with communications and sec- the phone company, we still don't use just plain telephones anymore. You know, there's there's different things we need to update to go along with wireless communication, things like that. And I feel that's where psychology needs to go.
0: Well, let me explain to you from a positive perspective what you just said. Okay. Because this is what I realize where we're at in this development of, of us. is it's In fact, it's called individuality. We used to be defined by the group we belong to, okay? The church, the town we grew up in, we used to associate ourselves with the group, okay? We are no longer there. We are now beyond group identification to individual identification. And the transition that we are going through, okay? In 1900, 5% of the population graduated from high school in 1900. 95% of the population never graduated from high school in 1900. I have a graduate degree from SMU in Dallas. I have a graduate degree. We are more logical, we are more cognitive, and we are more aware than we've ever been. And so the true, in fact, I, I was on a call yesterday. And I feel bad about this guy saying this because he's he's a a, a a very established person in the in the in the in the speaking world, and and he went on about how we are all animals because that's what the psychology industry is trying to teach us, trying to convince us that we are animals. And what an animal does is an animal reacts emotionally. Animals have emotions. Just walk into your house when your dog comes up wagging its tail. Or when your dog comes up and wags its tail, smack it across the snout. Mm -hmm. Animals have emotions. What differentiates us from animals is our ability to think. Okay, And if we are able to control our emotions, which is what I am teaching, the biggest thing I'm teaching couples to understand is when that anxiety gets in the stomach, Okay, your wife comes home and says, sweetheart, we're going to the zoo today. You're not in your stomach when she says that; is boiling to your mouth. And there's a process from the stomach to the mouth where you go from anxiety to hell. If we are going to the zoo today, if I can get you to to, to refrain from responding emotionally, and instead responding logically well i really don't want to go to the zoo today it makes me nervous to be around snakes if you realize that snakes is the reason why you don't want to go to zoo now you're continuing to have a logical developed conversation let's in because remember happiness is something you have to think about ahead of time mm-hmm. you don't go to the grocery store and then buy food you prepare for the it's called a grocery list and sort of the analogy that I like to use, say that your car breaks down right next to a car dealership and it's an old car and you walk into the dealership and you buy a car because you're frustrated. My car broke down. Damn it. My car broke down. I got to now go buy a new car. And you rush into the, into the dealership and you point to that car and you go, I'll take that one. You responded emotionally. Now you get home. Guess what you're doing when you get home? But wait a minute. It doesn't even have air conditioning. This is actually not the car I want. You have to think ahead of time and prepare to solve problems. When you think first, happiness is the result. But when you feel first, I'm angry because my car broke down. What you're going to realize if you think after you feel is your thoughts are not a productive thing. It's it's a negative experience. We just need to think first instead of feel first. That's what I teach.
1: I'd love for you to have a proactive workshop almost for like a pre-marriage, like people that are going to get married. What like what I do. Oh, even pre-marriage? like I I knew it was post-marriage.
0: Ideally, it would be working with people earlier in the relationship. We wait until the worst possible time to seek help in our marriages. We wait until one of us has finally said, that's it. I'm leaving you. Oh, hang on a second. Let's go get help. But the reality is, if you can get get to couples before the habits are created, and teach them the positive apples. My ideal client is is engaged or newlywed. In fact, one of my domain names I own, engagedcouples.com. If I can get in front of engaged or newly married couples before the bad habits are created, then I put them on the right course at early. Versus what you know, unfortunately, because of this bad image of getting help means there's something wrong. Which today's world, that generally is the case. I'm getting marriage help. Well, there must be problems in your marriage. And one of the 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 transitions that I'm that I'm introducing in the in our society into the culture is actually get help ahead of time before there's a problem, as opposed to waiting until there are problems before getting help. Because there's such a negative connotation, a negative perspective on on, on, on marriage, help, advice, guidance, whatever, that, you know, it's something that you're not going to stand in front of your group of friends and go, guess what we did today? Yeah. We went and saw a marriage therapist. Yay! Right? It's, no. I'm sorry to hear that, Ryan. You know, that's that's our reaction when people say that and I'm changing that perception that it's actually a good thing to go get married. Yeah. Child. Just like, you know, didn't you get help with, the, you know, didn't you get math help or computer yeah. help or anything like that? You know,
1: it's just the outdated stigma of if of it being, you know, an issue, a problem, because it just that's again, as we go back to psychology and stuff, it seems like another outdated stigma of mental health is, is that. You can it's only it's only help because you're in a bad place and it it shouldn't be that way. It should be. You just everybody could use help along the way rather than waiting till you get to the lowest point to try to pull you out.
0: But 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 there again, let me let me interject there. Okay, there was um, a Kennedy girl a couple of years ago that that died of a drug overdose, early 20s, beautiful girl. And so she was in the news when it happened. And one of the, the, the lines of the story that I saw was she had actually posted in her Facebook post that she was recently diagnosed with depression and realized that that was a, a problem that she was going to have to deal with for the rest of her life. Again, I'm not, again, as I said before we started to, you know recording this, I'm not trying to be hard on the psychology industry. But anytime you convey to, so this is the thing that really upsets me about the industry. When they diagnose with somebody with a disorder, what it does to the person that's been diagnosed with a disorder. One of the things that Young did, there's a real poignant and and poetic description in in Young's autobiography of a conversation that he and Freud had when they were still together where Freud went to Young and said, whatever you do, my dear son, promise me never to abandon the sexuality theory. We must make a dogma of it. We must make a bulwark of it. And Jung, in surprise, looked back at Freud and said, a bulwark against what? And Freud's response was a bulwark, a, a bulwark against uh, occultism. And that really exposed, this is, this is the, the defining moment when Jung decided to break up with Freud was this conversation because Jung realized that Freud wasn't trying to find the truth but more importantly what jung realized freud grew up in austria you know who else grew and he was jewish you know who else grew up in austria at the same time hitler mm-hmm. do you think freud experienced anti-Semitism? of course he did and jung realized that freud made much of his irreligiosity freud was not religious mm-hmm. and what freud was redoing as jung puts it was he it, what he literally said was freud was replacing a God from above with a God from below. And what he's figuratively saying was Freud was replacing religion with sex. I think about that anytime I'm out in public now, mm-hmm. when I look around and I realize the influence of Freud on, on on regressing our culture, yeah. we are regressed as a culture because we're more focused on sex than we are on God. Mm-hmm. And I point to Freud and everybody that has followed him has perpetuated that message. And so when we get this message from the professionals that we are animals, that we are actually man cave. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let me know when you find one, Ryan, because I want to go there. When you really think about what a man cave is going to like the, the women are beautiful waitresses. It's beer, it's pool tables, it's sports on television. This notion of, we are actually looking to regress into caves. I don't live in a cave. You look like you're not living in the cave. Where is that man I kid? I know it's figurative now and we create those, but this is messages that mm-hmm. come to us. You know, men and women are from different planets. Yeah. I've actually discovered that men and women are from the same planet. That was one of my greatest discoveries. <laughs>
1: yeah. And again, it, it almost sheds a light on what you're saying, like trying to get rid of his prejudice, because it sounds like what, what Carl Jung found talking with conversation with that Freud was. He was prejudiced against occultism, and so anything that that could possibly give give light or any kind of praise to occultism, he wanted to make sure didn't happen.
0: Yeah, and remember, cultism is is religion that's not mainstream. That's all cultism is. Yeah. Okay.
1: But yeah, it just kind of goes back to your whole. I was going to say this thing of you know prejudice, you know, kind of taints everything. Our choices.
0: Everything. Everything. And prejudice is a fear.
1: Yes. Right. Absolutely.
0: But more importantly, where there are no distinctions, there can be no superiority. Perfect equality affords no temptation for abuse or control. That 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 phrase was actually uh, written by a, t- a guy by the name of Thomas Paine, who published Common Sense in 1776, where he's describing the state of our country at that time. Uh, and in that pamphlet was actually the biggest influence on, the revolution- on getting into the Revolutionary War. And it also describes what we're trying to learn in our relationships, is this notion of equality. And when there's perfect equality in a relationship, there's no temptation for abuse or control. But when there's inequality, one of the things that I do to to point out the notion of equality, so I'm going to ask you this question, Ryan. What word comes to mind when you think of the concept of equality?
1: What comes to mind, uh, because I grew up with a, a father who lives an alternative lifestyle, I think of the LGBT community and how they don't get the same rights or for right. a long period of time haven't had the same rights as a man and woman married couple right is that's what comes to mind is equality and
0: so what is equality
1: to me equality just means that it's hard because everybody's point of view is different and so i think of equality as everybody is there it should be no prejudice
0: right Okay.
1: I'll put it in a comedic terms is the only way I underst I never really understood, I guess, equality for the LGBT community because I'm not alternative. I don't have the same beliefs as my father, but I still love him. But I was watching a comedy special from the UK, and it was a man talking about trying to be, he was attracted to another man at a party, and he was nervous about talking to him. And it was this whole joke and and this UK comedy special what i realized what i started listening to is i'm not hearing an audience heckle him i'm not hearing any kind of disparaging comments or uncomfortable silence
0: well yeah we're finally we're finally developing beyond that exactly. yeah
1: and i i just saw like the the unjudgmental you know just listening and support and i'm like that's what that's what it is about that's to me what it is about is is treating this person like him talking about looking for another man at a party is no different than a man saying, you know, I I met this beautiful girl at a party and I didn't know how to talk to her.
0: Let me ask you the question this way. If you were a slave, Mm -hmm. how would you describe equality?
1: As having the same, I guess, rights as my master.
0: Freedom. Remember, we're addressing marriages mentally. Mm -hmm. Think about what equality means psychologically a couple which is what you're describing but I'm, I'm concluding what you just said okay it's freedom yeah you get to do, develop as your as an individual and your partner gets to develop as an individual okay but let me describe what you just went through what you just said what you just talked about have you ever heard of the concept of separate but equal yes okay so for those of you who have not heard of that concept, in 1896, our United States Supreme Court passed the separate but equal law in this notion of keeping African Americans separate with this notion that it would make them equal. And it was just it was used to justify keeping African Americans separate in this vague notion that would somehow make them equal until it was overturned in the famous Brown versus Board of Education ruling in 1954. In fact, when Rosa Parks was arrested, it was a colleague of Martin Luther King's who ran into his house and said, we can now take separate but equal all the way to the Supreme Court. And so what I mean by that is I am not a guy. I am Tim. Okay? I am Tim. It's my individuality. Now, I am heterosexual, but if I was homosexual. That's me. Yep. What right do you have to judge me on my individuality? It's amazing to me, absolutely amazing, that in 200 years, all of the struggles that we've gone through in this country to try and develop this real democracy, that we're still fighting it. We're still dealing with LGBTQ. We're still still dealing with the Black Lives Matters issue I cannot believe that we, as supposed to be this developed country, are still there's still those of us that that are, are ignorant, and, and that's a that's a negative connotation. But it's true. It's not understand all all prejudice. I grew up with the n word. Just just to let you know where I grew up with my background was the opposite. My dad, if he would have met your dad, he would have been you know. I mean, my dad, I, dad, you can't say you can't say the n word. You know, but that's what but that's my dad. My dad was trained. We have been trained for thousands of years. It's important to understand, though, the backdrop with what I just described, that governments and religions have been promoting us versus them for thousands of years. But it was necessary in order for us to create organizations, yes. for us to create countries and for us to create religions. But we have now grown beyond that. And so in today's world, any anti, you know, homophobic or homo racist, or any of that is it's so, and we all in the mainstream know that. That's why you didn't hear any heckling with that comedy special. So is the, mm-hmm. the those of us that are developed understand this notion of prejudice, but what we haven't learned yet is relationship prejudice. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to become consciously aware of. We are learning the same prejudices, but now it's against this person that we're supposed to fall in love with. Yes. That's why the social prejudices are great analogies, but we're creating a whole new state of prejudice since the 60s. And these are relationship prejudices. It's not the girl, it's she is a girl. I had a guy, a friend of mine, tell me that I was trying to teach him this notion of equality, and he was like, Well, we need to we need to control them. He used the word them, yeah, not her. He was in a relationship. He didn't say her. He said, we need to control them. And I just, when he said that, I was just like, that's the point. He has this relationship prejudice against women, but we are culturally actually enhancing. Mm -hmm. We're actually enhancing these prejudices with all of the judgmental stuff that we see in, in, in our society today, particularly television with, you know, the housewives of, whatever city you want to add to that, you know, showing all these women that are all judgmental against each other. You know, they, not all of them, but a lot of them hate their husbands and they're all, they sit there and backstab each other. They talk bad about their spouses. We are creating a judgment culture. Yeah. A balanced ego is not when you're better than anybody else. A balanced ego is when you're better than you used to be. That is the answer to the question that we have been trying to figure out in this age of individualities. And one of the best examples I use to demonstrate my point Mm -hmm. are Hollywood celebrities. They are some of the most screwed up people in our society because they are defined externally, their looks, their money.
1: Yeah.
0: That's why, in fact, one of the things I do as a hobby is I psychoanalyze celebrities and I can, I can tell you in general, which celebrities are grounded in which celebrities are not grounded. And quite honestly, the biggest indication I use of that are those that are in long term marriages or long term relationships. Those are the ones that I realize are grounded, or those that are perpetually getting divorced, I realize are the ones that are not so grounded.
1: It, it it is kind of interesting to see which couples, you know, last and which ones to just kind of the moment and then all of a sudden it's a big news again when they divorce. And so it becomes like a cyclical. with those people that those people end up in so many different relationships
0: you find you find one person on the planet one person on the planet who was surprised when Kanye West and Kim Kardashian got divorced and I will show you somebody who's lived in a cave there's not a single person I've been waiting for that for years I mean those are some of the biggest egos in Hollywood and so when they got divorced, are you kidding me? You can you imagine being a fly on the wall in that relationship? Can you imagine how much they fight? Yeah, where both of them are trying to control that marriage.
1: Yeah, but I don't know if you you could be a fly on the wall because I don't think either of them were really there. It's one of the. It's a marriage where I bet there was more phone conversation than face to face. Like it just. <laughs> I just, you think at that level of fame and all the stuff that they're doing, that there's no way that they had any quality time or any kind of intimate, you know, very little intimacy, if any.
0: Well, they do have children. Yeah. So they at least had, they at least were intimate, or what, do they have two or three children? Yeah. They were at least in two or three times, right?
1: Yes. But, it you know, just on the long haul for what a marriage probably requires, I just don't, I just can't see both of them committing that much time to each other to do something outside of their own pursuits.
0: Well, but that, that's the point. I will not say 100%, close to 100% of marriages that end, end because of control. Yes. Okay. Now, again, what has changed at least before the 60s, the church was there saying the man was in charge. And so if you were the woman and you question your subordinate role, the man could always point to the church and say, well, the church says that you're supposed to be subordinate to me. Now that women are questioning their subordinate roles, there are no rules in marriage. This is legislation without law. Mm-hmm. This is wisdom without plan. This is This is their culture of marriage today. You can argue over anything. That's the point. Yeah. There's no, the couples don't understand that they need, you know, pick your battles as the old saying goes, you know, I mean, if I want to get mad at my wife or I, nobody's in fact, if we get divorced, if my wife and I get divorced, there's nobody who's going to look down on me culturally. There's no negative connotation. And you look at, you know, in fact, I, what I'm explaining is the notion of conscious coupling. Yes. And where I but let, let me let me let me continue where I got that notion from. Have you ever heard of the concept of conscious uncoupling? I have not. When Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay, got divorced, they marketed to the public as conscious uncoupling. They made it sound pleasant. They're rationalizing divorce. That's what they're doing. Conscience uncoupling. What I am doing is I am rationalizing couples staying together. It's called conscious coupling.
1: That's awesome. And I, I love how your book is to be read both together. It's not, it's not just for the man or the woman. It's something that both of you are are to take to heart and work together through like your relationship. And so it kind of sets them up on a path, I would say. Isn't that the point? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And that's why I just find fascinating is that as a tech support person myself, like I, I've, you know, I've never thought of it that way. It's like, why haven't we gone to a simple? Why don't we start with the simplest questions to the problem versus all this back, all these backstory and like you said, peeling the onion. Why are we starting at the surface level when if we just ask, you know, the most basic and honest questions and then start from there rather than, you know, give me your opinion, you know, and and peeling through all these opinions to get to the same spot than if you just ask the honest question in the first place.
0: I have seen hell from below. Mm-hmm. I looked up to hell. When the girl that I was supposed to spend the rest of my life with admitted in therapy that she had slept with another man, if I could have taken that back, this is why I'm doing this, by the way. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm doing this. I wouldn't wish that pain. I have seen hell from below. That's a very, very powerful statement. Okay. I wouldn't wish that pain on my worst enemy. If there's anything I could do, to keep people from having to experience that and they need to understand exactly what you just said Ryan and that is let's get there when the problems are still small let's not wait until one of us goes and sleeps with somebody else
1: yes it, and it's definitely uh, i can't imagine again that kind of pain like you said you you consider you you're it's a level below hell and it it's such a motive i can see how it's changed your life you've completely you've kind of switch professions and you've kind of, as you said, solved the marriage problem by actually let's, let's really get, let's get, let's, let's talk about these things. Let's not just, let's not hold it in.
0: But, but let me, let me explain why I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the biggest message again, I, I'm not, I'm just psychology industry. I mean, I, (laughs) I am considered an expert on wall street, on both the semiconductor industry and the communications industry. hundred books went into my research of the book I've written, including two dozen relationship books. It's not just psychology. Yep. One of the reasons why the psychology industry hasn't been able to solve the problem is because equality is a social issue. It's not a psychology issue. It's, psychology doesn't understand uh, mental equality because they don't address things mentally. Okay. But the biggest message that we are getting from the industry today is the five love languages.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Which is behaviorally biased if that guy's name is Gary Chapman, if Gary Chapman really wanted to help people, his book would have actually said that both couples should actually engage in all five love languages. And if you're not engaging in all five love languages, we're going to explore why you're not engaging in the five love languages. And what I'm saying is, The industry does not understand relationships mentally because they don't understand how the mind works. They do not address things mentally. They address things behaviorally. Somebody has to step up Mm -hmm. and finally push beyond the biology theory, the behavioral stuff. And I think if we waited for that to come from somebody in the psychology industry, it either won't happen for decades or may never happen. Remember they've been following the same path for a hundred years now. Yeah. There's nobody yet who stepped out of the psychology industry, at least who's made it to the, to the public. I know there are good therapists. There are good therapists, yeah. but none of them has been able to convey a public message to overcome the biology theory. Cause remember the biology theory is used to justify going to therapy for years, mm-hmm. which I find astonishing that anybody could justify Continuing with somebody and making them pay for years. And the biology theory is also used to justify drugging people. There's billion you know the uproar that this is this message is going to cause the, the pharmacology industry? When they realize that what they're doing is actually counterproductive for people by drugging them.
1: But it it's it opened the door for that conversation. That's what and, and I feel like that conversation needs to happen.
0: Damn right it does. Are we going to solve the problem? Or are we just going to let people? I had a guy tell me once, he goes, I just realized that my marriage is miserable and there's nothing I can do about it. What a what a law lo- what a, a loss it must be to just give up and realize you're not getting divorced, but you're just gonna to have to experience this miserable marriage for the rest of your life. That that, that in fact it's mental imprisonment. There, there that is the biggest mental imprisonment I think you can ever create. You know, if you want to imprison me, Ryan, you're outside, you know, if I have a I have a Hitler section in my book. The thing Hitler was not able to do was Hitler was not able to imprison them mentally. There are a lot of people that committed suicide of the Jewish people in that time. You've researching that, but there are a lot of people that survived that. That is in, in, very mentally, obviously, traumatic. I'm, I'm not going to ever belittle what those people who lived through Hitler's regime went through but Hitler wasn't somebody that they loved. Imagine having somebody that you love trying to control you. Yeah. I would, I would compare that imprisonment. I would even say there might even be a worse imprisonment because now you've got this confusion. At least Hitler was somebody they hated. Yes. But somebody that you love trying to imprison you. But here's the other thing that's important to understand. I want everybody to realize it's easy to understand the mental challenge of the one being controlled. What people don't realize is it's also is mentally imprisoning for the one doing the control. In fact, the 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 clarity of this comes from a song by Eddie Vedder. If you're a music fan, Pearl Jam, right? Yes. So this is a song called "Hard Sun," and one of the lines of the sun of the of the song was. I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above. But when I climbed down to be set free, she let me in again. And what he's saying is he imprisoned himself when he thought he was better than his wife. Mm -hmm. And he didn't free himself until he climbed down to be able to look eye to eye at his wife that she let him back in again so that they could create a, a successful marriage. It's just as imprisoning because remember you're the one. If you're controlling, you have to keep your thumb on that person. Yes, you have to keep an eye on that person. You got to keep your eye on your wife. Ryan. Right? You got to keep. What's she doing that for? Why is she doing this? Is she doing that? Let me look at her phone. Let me check her email. Let me control. Why are you doing this? Where are you going? This is when you are doing the controlling. It's just as mentally exhausting as it is being controlled.
1: I would imagine so. I can't. I can't fathom being on either side of that coin. Just the constant paranoia of what's this guy going to think like, you know, for ear from either side, if you're being, if you know, the woman or the man's being controlling, like to, to feel like, Oh my God, what, you know, she's going to, they're going to be upset if I'm not home at this hour or, Oh my God, my car, my car's broken. Is she going to believe that I, that my car's broken down? Are we going to have a big fight because she thinks I'm having an affair because I'm sitting her on the side of the road with a car that's out of gas. And I'm telling her that, but she's so upset that she's just going to say, no, you're cheating. That's what it is. You're just, you're just making an excuse and it's, it's gotta be, you know, and on the other side, just to, to have that much anger and fear of insecurity that this is obviously what they're doing. No one comes home 30 minutes late. Obviously he's right. had, obviously he's having an affair and I'm not privy to it. So I need to, it's just such a, it's such a, it's such a mentally taxing and saddening feeling. Because you just assume that that's what love is. That's what your relationship's going to be.
0: But to make matters worse. If you fear it. It will happen. Absolutely. If you are afraid of your partner cheating on you that you get angry when the car breaks down. Guess what they're going to do. Eventually they're going to say screw it. (laughs) He or she's blaming me for cheating. Anyhow, this other person's attracted to me. Wow. <laughs> Let me go and because I'm not. Remember, we all we all know we want to be happy. Mm-hmm. So if you're not happy in your marriage, what are you going to do? Find alternative outlets, right? You're going to eat, overeat, watch television, sleep with other people. If you're not happy in your marriage, you're going to find an outlet elsewhere. Yes, that's why the subtitle of my book is the quest for the happy marriage.
1: And it's great. I I, I appreciate you doing this, Tim. Where can people find you on social media, the internet, if either one, they want to grab a copy of your book or maybe sign up for one of your uh, workshops?
0: Well, I have a a free two-hour seminar. That's how we get the conversation started. But the easiest way is to email me. My email address is Tim Callis. My name, Tim, K-E-L-L-I-S, at Happy Relationships, plural. Yes, I do own that domain name. Tim Callis at happyrelationships.com. The other good way of connecting with me, I have actually started, it's called on Facebook, it's called The Marriage Support Group, picture of a couple kissing. So on Facebook, search The Marriage Support Group. I've got over 2,100 members there now, but it's been growing. I've doubled in the last you know, six months or so. But you know, it's growing significantly on The Marriage Support Group on Facebook. If anybody watching this has discovered Clubhouse yet, okay, I'm in my sixth week of Clubhouse. I have 825, 26 followers, 28 followers right now. I do a call every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Clubhouse. I've been speaking three and four times a week Mm -hmm. on Clubhouse. So if you follow me, you will get notification. And for those of you who don't know who Clubhouse is yet, first you will because it is absolutely exploding, but it's an audio only social media app. All other social media is looks. Mm-hmm. You can see me, I can see you. It's a competition who's, who's better looking. It's a looks thing, right? Yeah. This is an audio only, so it's really focused on people with a message to share. I had a seven hour call on a Sunday There were 200 and I was co-host. It wasn't just me. There were a a group of us and there were 250 people listening. I had 120 new followers from that one call. So you can also, you know, reach out to me via clubhouse as well. But anyway, if you want to learn how to create a lifelong marriage, you know, you finally have the solution. This is, I can honestly say more profound than, than most. I am running into other people. Who have different approaches and quite honestly i'm running into them on clubhouse Mm -hmm. there are other people that are just advanced and what i mean by that is just as understanding of the influence of your childhood on you as an adult because this is what i'm trying to get everybody to understand my mission is to lower the divorce rate in this country this is my my mission this is my passion and i am not going to stop Until I make a significant impact on our divorce rate, I realize I can do that. I realize that is how profound my message is. And I realize that any couple that learns what I teach will actually experience what I'm teaching and be able to create a successful marriage. But the first thing is you want to email me, Tim Kellis at relationships, plural, happyrelationships.com.
1: And you just blew my mind thinking about like, I, I never even thought of using Clubhouse in that way like to have a gathering or just a conference, like almost like a conference call kind of
0: feel. It's what it is. <laughs> yeah.
1: Cause I I'm on it with, as far as podcasters and comics and I'm like, I never thought of it as a, as a way to reach out to couples and stuff like that and say, Hey, you know, I'm putting together this conference call. We can just kind of go over broad topics or anything like that to maybe, you know, either one promote workshop or just to kind of, you know, talk with people about, marriage and counseling and things like that and it's such a such a cool way to to kind of make it inclusive to not feel like you're just one couple walking into a therapist office that hey there is a community here it's not just you so you don't have to feel like you're the one person one marriage that's having problems in the world it's it's such a great inclusive way to do it
0: Exactly. And Clubhouse allows if you if you start a room, Clubhouse actually allows you to add 13 co-hosts. So on my Wednesday night call, I always add 13 other marriage experts. I'm creating a, a group of people that I believe are profound in what they teach. And again, the way I look at it is if it's behavior only advice, that's not such a good approach. But if it's people that are approaching marriages mentally and psychologically and spiritually, those are the people that I'm gathering around me in order to hear from a group of people that are all basically saying the same thing, which is heal from your upbringing, forgive your parents, forgive those things or those experiences or relationships from your past so that you can look at your partner objectively. But yeah, that's Clubhouse is a great because remember Clubhouse, for those of you who don't know, if unless you raise your hand to go on stage, you're in listen only mode. Yeah. So if you don't want to talk about your personal situation, you don't have to. If you want to, you raise your hand. You get brought on stage by the moderators in the room, and you can have a conversation with the, the people. They call it being on stage, and you can come on stage and have a conversation. Clubhouse is going to explode. It's it's huge.
1: Yeah, because it's bringing it's bringing back the telephone almost like the way telephone was invented, like almost a teleconference. Like we're we're kind of we're kind of we're going we're 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 getting more advanced, but also take it, you know, taking a step. Yeah, back. but
0: you have to what you're, what you're what you're doing is you're combining a conference call with social media. That is yeah. the breakthrough when you add the social media component. In fact, the point, though, Ryan, is the second biggest topic of discussion. The first is business stuff. People get on there and they talk for hours and hours on building a business. But the second is marriage and relationships. That's the second biggest topic that's discussed on Clubhouse.
1: That's amazing that that's how that that that's how far it's gone to, and and how I and again as you said they're, you're trying to solve the marriage problem and you're 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 almost it's not even a marriage problem like you're starting the marriage movement it's almost becoming a movement with the amount of people in, in your group as well as Clubhouse that are starting to to ally with you and work with you it's a really cool exactly
0: thing. Well, I'm also. I'm also a member of a mentor organization that was founded by former executives of Tony Robbins, T Harv Eker, Robert Kiyosaki. So, um in fact they're create they're they're already planning for stages in the fall. I think by the fall if I continue doing what I'm doing, by the fall I'm going to be on stage in front of a lot of people. So that's ultimately where I'm going to get out on a national stage.
1: Well, if you got stage fright, we can have you on again as yes talking about how you've overcome your fear of talked to a large group of people.
0: Well, I don't have stage fright, but if I were to say I, I do, would you uh, invite me for a second to conversation?
1: Oh, yeah, any fear you want.
0: I would. I would love to continue a conversation. Absolutely, Ryan.
1: All right. Well, thanks again, Tim.
0: Ryan, first, thank you. More importantly, thank you. I can't. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to come on your podcast and to share with your with your viewers. And uh, you know, this something I'm obviously very passionate and, and compassionate about as well. Because you know, this is it's about time somebody gets out there with a message of success in marriages.
1: I totally agree. Thanks again.
0: All right, thanks, Ryan. That
1: was Tim. It was a real fun conversation. I really enjoyed talking to him about psychology and that it is kind of interesting that it doesn't feel like psychology has made any kind of advancements with technology and everything else i'm sure there's some psychological bases but i feel at the same time maybe there could be more to it it would be really cool to maybe have a psychologist on in the future to kind of talk about these theories and stuff that are based so far in the past like how can they sustain can they sustain at a, at the same level as when they were discovered? Like Freud and Carl Jung were back in the early 20s. How can they still, you know, be as effective today as they were back then? Check out Tim at happyrelationships.com. He, if you're married or getting close to marriage, maybe, you know, that book or counseling session or you know just getting involved in the groups with clubhouse or facebook may be for you doesn't you know marriage doesn't have to be just us there's a whole community out there of married couple that can kind of maybe help be an an ear or a shoulder to lean or someone to listen check that out i feel like his book is super interesting the fact that you you both read it together instead of here's what you do as a man, here's what you do as a woman, i feel that that kind of combined nature is kind of at least a starting point for you as a couple to work together. i've never been married so i kind of hard to say it, it does frighten me to think, you know, that i could be that open with somebody. i i try to do my best to open with people i care about, but it's terrifying that you could be that open with somebody, that vulnerable. It was a really cool conversation. I, I learned a lot about myself and interesting things about you know marriage. I thanked him for that. It's been a fun week, kind of getting back adjusted to work, coming off my weekend in Oklahoma City where I spent Wednesday through Saturday working at the Looney Bin in Oklahoma City. It was a great time. I work with B.T. and Tim Monteleone. It appears that maybe I will do more Looney bins in the future, which would be really cool. This weekend, I just kind of hung out at Backdoor, ran into some old friends, had a really fun time. So I'm here in my apartment at 3 in the morning, recording this, about to go to bed. But I had some deep thoughts, and I wanted to kind of get them before I to bed and um one of my uh, comedic idols passed away this week carl labove most famous for his time with sam Kinison, is one of the outlaws of comedy back in the 80s and early 90s carl was a huge inspiration for the kind of comedy that i do and i met him in 2007 the well-written material, the detail on his act-outs. It was just, it was like a symphony. And I wanted to kind of follow, mimic and follow in that footsteps. I'm not as successful as he has been. And I work to get better at it. But man, it's so sad when one of your heroes passes away. But thanks again for listening. Follow the podcast is now the request I will put out instead of subscribe since subscription and Apple podcast terminology now means paid for, which I don't offer at this time. And so check out the podcast, give it a follow. If you haven't rated us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, go ahead and rate us. If you have any feedback, send me an email at some at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, And come see a show. I'll be in Hyenas on April 29th. And I will also be doing a couple of shows in May. As well as I'll be doing a show at the Addison Improv. As well as a live podcast that same weekend. Super excited about that. I need to start preparing. Thanks for listening to The Sum of All Fears. Have a wonderful week. And now some thank yous for the folks that make this show possible. Thanks to Barry Whitewater for my art and graphics. You can follow him on Instagram at bwhiteh20, get it, H2O, like water. You can also follow him on Facebook, music. A huge thank you to Gunnar Olsen for the wonderful music provided for this podcast. You can follow him on Instagram at gunbuns, that's G-U-N-B-U-N-S, as well as his website gunnarolsen.net. Check out some of the samples that he has recorded. They're amazing. He's an amazing percussionist. If you want to follow the show, we've got a Facebook group, some of all fears, Instagram, Twitter, you can find us at some fear fans. If you have some feedback for the show, email me at some fear fans, s o m e f e a r f a n s at gmail.com. I'll be happy to to take those into consideration. Also, if you'd like to be a guest, email me at somefearfans at gmail.com. We can try to iron out some details and get that settled in. You know, give us some feedback if on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review. It makes the show bigger, and it's not going anywhere. I'm going to record as many shows as I possibly can. If you want to follow me... On social media. I am at Ryan Perio. It's R Y A N P-E-R-R-I-O on all social media platforms. You can follow me there and you can check me out at Ryanperio.com, my website. I'll try to list upcoming shows there as well. It's been kind of spotty because as soon as I set it up, that's when the pandemic happened. And everything's kind of just in a in a holding pattern. Thanks again for listening to the Sum of All Fears podcast. Next week, we'll have another guest with another fear. Thanks for listening.